Would you open your Bibles, please? Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. We begin with the 33rd verse. May we pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the old-fashioned grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that grace sufficient to cover all of the ugly things of our lives because of God's love. We pray this morning that Thou wilt help those who are in trouble, relieve the burden of those who are bereaved, bring strength and encouragement and enthusiasm to those who are saved and to every man, woman, boy, and girl within the sound of our voice, within the influence of the services of this church this morning. May the Spirit of God touch them and draw them to Jesus. We ask it in His name. Amen. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors who were hanged railed at him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour. And there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened. And the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. When Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintances and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. We come today to the crucifixion of Jesus, the most ruthless crime in all the annals of ignoble history. 
the most hopeful event of all time. The spot of Calvary is the center of all things. Here two eternities meet. The streams of ancient history converge here. And here the river of modern history takes its rise. The eyes of the patriarchs and prophets strain toward Calvary. And now the eyes of all generations look back to that event on the 14th of Nisan in the year 33 AD. The cross is the end of all roads. The seeker of truth finds truth. The weary finds rest. The bereaved finds sympathy and the sinner finds forgiveness. But the question that asks itself today is why did Jesus stay on that cross? Would he not have shown power and authority had he come down from the cross? To get a clear glimpse of this question and of the entire story as we have read it a moment ago, we need to put it into its proper place in those last days of the earthly life of Jesus. On the Sunday before Calvary, the scripture indicates that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem in a great triumphal entry. And the people of the city came out and spread palms before him and they cried out, Hosanna to the king, Hosanna to him who comes in the name of the king, thus a fulfillment of prophecy. That same group who welcomed the king just five days later hissed against him and riled him and demanded that he be crucified. On Monday, Jesus entered the temple and he found the men who were money changers, men who had come up recognizing that the blood sacrificial system was important. They parked their things in the temple area and were selling for great profit things that could be offered as sacrifices, pigeons and animals and so on. And when Jesus saw the temple being made a den of thieves, he made a whip and with all the righteous indignation of God the Heavenly Father, he railed against them and cast them from the temple, thus indicating the anger of the meek and gentle and lowly Jesus. On Tuesday, they brought some coins to him and said, who is it that we should give this money to, Caesar or God? Jesus taught that terrific truth of the separation of church and state when he said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. On that same day, the Greeks came saying, sirs, we would see Jesus. And Andrew took them to Jesus and Jesus said, you've come in my finest hour, except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth fruit. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. On Wednesday, the plot of the Jews and Judas was completed. We'll speak more of that tonight. But Judas Iscariot, who had been with Jesus for three years, sold not only our Lord, 
and indeed really not our Lord, but he sold himself. He sold his soul. He sold all that he had for some kind of monetary value. We speak of his selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. In reality, he sold himself and estimated and recognized what he was worth. And oh, how Jesus' heart was burdened and broken and hurt. Thursday was the Passover meal. Some believe that the Lord was crucified on Thursday. Others believe he was crucified on Wednesday, and still others believe he was crucified on Friday. However that might be, when Jesus was arrested in the garden, they came after him as with a common, after a common criminal. They came with sticks and staves and torches and lancets. They came to arrest him. And when they found the Lord, Jesus came out to them and said, Who do you seek? And they said, We seek Jesus. Jesus said, I am he. And they fell back. So shocked were they that they did not have to trace him down and run after him. They never had to run after Jesus. He never ran from any man. The man today who has the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in his heart is not a runner. He's not somebody who will run, but someone who will face the problems and burdens and dangers and having done all will stand. And they took Jesus and bound him and led him back into Jerusalem across the brook Kidron through the beautiful gate of the temple. And they put him on trial. In reality, there were three trials. There was the ecclesiastical trial and the civil trial and the personal trial. Before the ecclesiastical trial, he was taken to Annas. Annas was in reality just a puppet. He was 70 years old, the father of high priests. He had five sons. He was father-in-law of Caiaphas. He was head of the ecclesiastical affairs. He was from Alexandria, Egypt. He was a Sadducee. He was haughty and cold and worldly and unpopular, but he was greatly feared. And when they led him before Annas, Annas very piously washed his hands and sent him to Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time. And Caiaphas railed on Jesus. They sent out word in the night hours to bring the 70 who were part of the Sanhedrin to the court of Caiaphas. Actually, the court of Caiaphas was the court of the priests and of the ecclesiastical authority. And it was against the law to have a trial in the night before morning. But in that midnight hour, they sent out after the Sanhedrin and in all probability, they gathered fewer than 50 of the 70 who should have been part of that jury. They put Jesus on trial ecclesiastically. They accused him of being the son of God and he opened not his mouth. They accused him of healing on the Sabbath day. And he opened not his mouth. And then during that ecclesiastical trial took place the most heartbreaking of all the things of the trial. That was when Simon Peter, standing outside in the courtyard, wouldn't even go into the ecclesiastical trial, but standing out there, warmed his hands at the devil's fire. And when they began to jest and talk and make fun of Jesus, and remember, I do not mean to be tawdry or cheap this morning when I say this, in all very, very probability, 
Jesus was stripped naked, bearing our shame, opening all the shame of our lives before God and the people. It was important and necessary that that be true because all of us would have had to stand naked before God and have our sins all atoned or all cursed had it not been for Jesus. And they were jesting about Jesus and making fun of him and ugly about him. And Peter standing out there wouldn't say a word. Finally, some little girl came along and said, you're one of the followers of the Nazarene prophet. And Peter said, I don't know who you mean. I don't know him. And after a little while, another one came along and said, you're one of the followers of Jesus, the Galilean prophet. Peter said, I do not know the man. And after a little while, a third one came and said, your speech betrays you. You're one of the followers of Jesus. And the Bible says at that point, Peter began to curse and swear. He said, I do not know him. And there came a lull in the trial. The eyes of Peter and the eyes of Jesus met for a moment. And Peter remembered the words of our Lord, before the cock shall crow, you will deny me three times. What did it mean, the cock crowing? If you've ever been up very, very, very early in the morning, sometimes two, three o'clock in the spring, you will hear the cock crowing. This was before that, so we know it was in the night. And Peter had his own heart touched by God, and he went out, and the Bible says he wept bitterly. And then they led Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate, a native of Seville, Spain, violent, cruel governor, known to be obstinate and reckless, open to bribes and insolence, sarcastic, cynical, and yet he was weak in courage. Pilate, relentless against the Jews, yet he feared them lest they should report him to Rome. And when Pilate saw Jesus, he sent him to Herod. Herod sent him back to Pilate. And Pilate said, what have you done? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, not a word. And Pilate said, did you not know that I have power to free you or power to crucify you? And Jesus said, you have no power at all except that power given by God. And Pilate did not know what to make of this man. And then there came a messenger in from his wife and gave him a secret message. And on that secret message was written, Sir Pilate, have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered much in a dream concerning him. And Pilate wanted some way to deliver Jesus to freedom, and so he hit on a way. It was the custom at the Passover that one should be delivered. Either Barabbas or Jesus could be set free. And so Pilate brought forth the two men. And he said, Behold the man. Whom will you that I release to you? Barabbas, the robber, the murderer, the insurrectionist, or Jesus, the king of the Jews? And the rabble of Jerusalem, who just five days earlier had said, Hosanna to the king, Hosanna in the highest. That fickle mob cried out, Crucify Jesus and release to us Barabbas. And after the pressures of the crowd and the mob and the Jews, Pilate delivered Jesus to be crucified. The Bible says they took Jesus and planted a crown of thorns on his brow, put a purple robe on him. They blindfolded him. They smote his 
cheeks and they pulled out his beard and they lashed his back and they said to that blindfolded son of God, if you're really a prophet, tell us who it is that hit you. And he answered not a word. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we're healed. And they led him out to Calvary. Why did Jesus, when they nailed him on the cross that day, stay on the cross? You know the story of how they put him between two thieves. And I've read from the Word of God how one thief cried out, if you're really the Son of God, come down from that cross and, and free yourself and free us. And the other thief cried out, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, why did Jesus stay on the cross? That's the question I want to ask this morning. And I hope when we leave, we will know the answer as to why Jesus stayed on that cross. I would ask you, first of all, is it because he was friendless? Did he not have any friends who could have taken him down from the cross? Is it because he was forsaken by all? Why, all the disciples were gone. Peter had denied the Lord. Judas had betrayed the Lord. Thomas had doubted the Lord. And all the other disciples had fled because their life was in danger. But we read in Matthew chapter 26, an amazing verse in, 50, in verse 53. Jesus said, Thinkest thou not that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? As Jesus was on the cross, he was not depending on Peter and James and John. He was not depending on the women. It was not the Romans that held him on the cross. It was not he was friendless because all the angelic host of heaven would have gladly come at just the snap of his fingers. If our Lord had looked into heaven and said, Oh God, send them, send them, the angels would have come. No, it was not he was friendless. What held Jesus to the cross that day? Was it because of human weakness? You know what they had done to Jesus? They had beat him. The medical doctors say it's a wonder that he ever made it to the cross. Any other man who had been so severely beaten as was Jesus would have died on the way out there. But our Lord went to the cross as it was written to suffer for the sins of the world. In John chapter 10 verse 18, No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So we note that Jesus did not stay on the cross because he had no friends to take him from the cross. Not only could he have called the angels, but our Lord could have just said the word and come from the cross himself. Thirdly, was it because he was powerless? Was it true after all that the Son of God who had touched blind eyes, made them see. He had cast out demons and found men who were crazy and out of their mind and clothed them and made them in their right mind again. This Jesus, is it possible that now, like Samson of old, 
when Samson had his hair cut, he didn't have any power? Is it possible that now Jesus was nailed to the cross, he didn't have any more power? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Jesus said those words. It was not that he was powerless. All power was given to him. Then what was it that held Jesus to the cross? Very briefly, let me suggest four things. Number one, it was the magnet of our sins that held Jesus to the cross. The magnet of our sins. The Bible said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. It was our sins, my sins and your sins, our ugliness, our honoriness, all of the rebellion of our hearts. That's what led Jesus to the cross. And that's what kept him on the cross that day. Man had sinned, for there's not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord had to lay on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And in Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquity like the wind have taken us away. The Bible says that sin must be punished. In Ezekiel 18, the soul that sinneth it shall die. In Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And the Bible says that Jesus came into the world to bear our sins. In 1 Peter chapter 2, for even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Jesus went to the cross and stayed on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Years ago, out in the mountains of Kentucky, there was a school area that couldn't keep a teacher. And over and over again, the big bullies of that school would scare off the teachers. One man would come and the big guys would fight him and have a fist fight with him and blacken his eyes and dare him to never come back and say they'd kill him if he came back and he got scared off. Other teachers came and went. Finally, it seemed like they were going to have to close the school and those people, those kids over there in that mountain area would not have any education. And then one day the superintendent had a visit from a young lady that young lady who just seemed to have a glow upon her life came and applied for that teaching position and the prince and the superintendent said well you can't have that they've run off all these big men they've run off every teacher they've ever had and that little lady said well I'd like to try would you let me try and so they let the lady go up to the mountains first day in class all those big bullies said, well, we'll have a heyday today. We'll get rid of her in no time at all. Well, the teacher started out a little bit different from usual. She said, now look, if we're going to have class here, uh, we're going to have to have some rules. But I want you to make the rules. I'm not going to make them. You make them. And as you make them, I'll write them on the blackboard. And so there was deathly silence for a few moments. And then somebody made a rule. 
the rule was you're not to be late to school. And so she put that up there. Somebody else made a rule, you're not to talk while the teacher's talking. Somebody else made a rule, you're not to steal anything in this school. And on and on the rules went. And then the teacher said, but look, these rules won't do any good unless we have some punishment for those who break the rules. Now I want you to make the punishment. And their eyes got big. And gradually, little by little, she wrote out beside those rules the punishment that the class suggested for each rule. They got down to that one on stealing. And somebody suggested 20 lashes across the bare back. Well, they'd never had a class like that. Things went pretty good that day and the next day and for a week or so. Then one day after recess, a little guy, I mean, a, one, of the, one of the boys in the class came and said, teacher, my lunch has been stolen. I didn't, can't find it anywhere. And when they came back together after recess, the teacher called the class to order and said, now, you remember our rules, they're written here on the board. And uh, Big Jim here says that his lunch has been stolen. And I want the boy or the girl in this class who took that lunch to just stand up and come up here. Take your punishment. You ever heard a pin drop? And after a few minutes of silence, a little old boy got up and he came up with his head down. He had a long overcoat on. And the teacher said, did you take this boy's lunch? Little Jim said, yes, I took it. She said, why did you take it? Well, he said, I didn't have any lunch and I haven't had any breakfast. I haven't had anything to eat for two or three days. My daddy left, just my mother's home. We have a lot of children in our home. We didn't have very much and I was hungry. The teacher said, you know the rule. That little guy said, yeah, I know the rule. She said, take your coat off. Oh, teacher, don't make me take my coat off. Take your coat off. Don't make me take my coat off. Please, teacher, take your coat off. Oh, but teacher, don't make me take it. You can give me 40 lashes, but don't make me take my coat off. Take your coat off. He began to take his coat, and the teacher could see that he didn't have any other clothes on. That's all he had. There was silence a moment, and then the big guy got up and came down and said, teacher, Teacher, let me take his whipping. And she turned to him and she said, but, but you, it was your lunch that was stolen. He said, yeah, it was my lunch, but let me take his whipping. I want to take it for him. And he took his coat off. And that teacher laid 20 lashes across his bare back. And when it was all finished, that little guy ran over there and put his arms around the big guy. And he said, oh, I love you. You took my punishment. I love you. Now listen, that's what Jesus did. Jesus took our punishment at the cross. We're the ones that had stolen. We're the ones that had robbed. We're the ones that were vulgar. We're the ones that were impure. We're the ones that were sinners. And Jesus came before God and said, Oh God, let me take his punishment for him. Let me take John's and Richard's and, and Mary's and all of the others. Let me die for them. And the Bible says 
He who knew no sin became sin for you and me that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. What held Jesus to the cross that day? It was our sins, my sins and your sins that held him there to the cross. There's something else in this scripture. Not only was it the magnet of our sins, but the Bible says it was the magnet of his divine resignation to the will of God. In Matthew chapter 26, in verse 42, Jesus went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Jesus was obedient to the divine will of God. It was God's will. And Jesus came to completely fulfill the will of God. And when he was there on the cross that day between heaven and earth, why is it that he didn't come down? When that soldier railed on him and said, if you're really the son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself and us. Not only was it the magnet of our sins, but it was the magnet of his surrender and yieldedness to the divine will of God. And he has a will of God for every life. God has a master plan, a blueprint for every life. There are men and women and boys and girls within the sound of my voice today who have a master plan, a divine blueprint for your life. God has shown it to you. And I want to ask you, are you as committed to the divine will and plan of God for your life as was our Lord? If God has his hand on you, don't let anything in this earth deter you or cause you to turn away from what he has called you to do. His plan, his purpose, his will for your life. And this is what he taught us when he died on the cross. Thirdly, it was the magnet of his loyalty to an eternal purpose. The magnet of his loyalty to an eternal purpose. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after sin entered the world, God came walking in the cool of the garden. He said to Adam and Eve and the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. He shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In that early day after creation and after sin had come into the world, God made a promise. I will send a deliverer. I will send a promised one, and he will deliver you from the bondage of sin. And one day he will crush forever Satan and all the temptations that you face. Some in our fellowship have gone through dark hours of tragedy in the last few days. Some have had their hearts smashed as you would smash a beautiful china cup against the floor. Some have had their lives hurt. Some have had the death angel invade their home. And somebody precious and dear to you has been taken away. Well, I want to tell you this morning, our Lord promises that one day the one who is the author of all that tyranny the one who is the author of all that sin, the one who is the author of all that heartbreak, the one who, like the serpent, raises his head and hisses at you and strikes out with venom at your life, one day God says he will be crushed forever under the hand of God. And in obedience to that eternal promise, Jesus came to down a cross. He who knew no sin, fulfilling perfectly the will of God. One day, God said, his head will be crushed. 
But before that, the heel of the seed of the woman will be bruised. And so it was at Calvary. The heel was bruised. Jesus said, now has Satan lifted up his heel against me. But one day, the head of Satan will be crushed forever. And the cross is an eternal promise, an eternal fulfillment, and an always reminder to men of earth that Satan is judged, that truth will not be forever on the scaffold and wrong on the throne, but one day it will be reversed, regardless of the courts of this earth, regardless of the injustice that some men may receive here in the earth. The Bible says there is coming an evening up time, and God promised it and fulfilled it in the cross. And that's the meaning of the cross. That's why Jesus stayed there. If you've been wronged, if you've been hurt, if your home has been crushed, if your life has been broken, if somebody has taken your heart and banged it against the wall until it's broken, remember that there's coming a day when all that will be made right. God said it, and it will be. Last of all, Jesus stayed on the cross that day because of the magnet of the Savior's love. It was God's love. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And it was an unchanging love. It was an inseparable love. I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when Jesus was on the cross that day, he was demonstrating to the world the inseparable love of God, that when God loves you, nothing can separate you from that love, nothing in a thousand worlds. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I died that thou mightst live. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Why did Jesus stay on the cross? For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God proved his love at the cross. At the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Nations have risen and fallen. Empires have come to brilliance and crumbled and ruined away. Emperors and monarchs and kings have all passed on. At one time the world turned to Alexander, but Alexander has passed on. At one time the world turned to Hannibal of Carthage, but Hannibal has gone. At one time the world turned to Caesar, but Caesar is no more. At one time the world's eyes turned to Napoleon, but Napoleon, after exile in St. Helena, went the way of all flesh. At one time the whole world turned to FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, or to Joseph Stalin, 
but these men have gone the way of all flesh. And the eyes of the nations still look to Calvary. And the eyes of men of all the world still look to Calvary. For at Calvary, men can find sight, can find hope, can find love, can find renewment, and can find change and the power to live a new life and to live a life that never ends. Life eternal and life abundant. Have you been to Calvary? When Jesus came to Golgotha, they hanged him on a tree. They drove great nails through hands and feet and made a Calvary. They crowned him with a crown of thorns. Red were his wounds and deep. For those were crude and cruel days and human flesh was cheap. But when Jesus came to Bowling Green, they simply passed him by. They wouldn't hurt a hair of him. They just let him die. For men had grown more tender. They would not give him pain. They simply passed down the street and left him in the rain. Still Jesus cried, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And still it rained, that bitter rain that drenched him through and through. The crowds went home and left the streets with not a soul to see. And Jesus crouched against a wall and cried for Calvary. Oh, listen, Jesus would rather have Calvary than your indifference. Jesus would rather have the cross than your ignoring him and walking out of this room today without putting your trust in him. Won't you, for Christ's sake, turn to the Christ of the cross and the empty tomb? May we pray. With every head bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment, please. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee that Jesus did go to the cross for our sins. We thank Thee that He was faithful to that eternal purpose of God. We thank You that He surrendered to the will of God. Now we pray that that love of Christ poured out at Calvary will overwhelm men and women and boys and girls. And may they turn to Christ today. God grant that. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. We'd like to request that no one move around or leave during the singing of this invitation. This is God's hymn, God's invitation. And here is the invitation. Listen carefully. First of all, if you have never been saved, I want to urge you today to turn to Christ. To just say, Lord Jesus, I yield my heart and mind to thee today. Would you do that? You may say, but I'm not sure how to do it. Would you just come saying, Lord, I I don't know exactly how, but the best way I know how, I want to surrender to Christ today. Would you do that? Secondly, there are people in this room who have already yielded your heart to Christ privately, secretly, maybe at your home, maybe in your car, maybe just in your heart somewhere, but you've never made it public. There are no secret disciples in the kingdom of God. They're all open followers. If you already have personally said, Lord, I want you in my heart. I do love you and I want you to be my savior. I want to ask you this morning to come out and publicly take a stand for Christ. He that confesseth me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. There are others here today who need a church home. You need to come and move your letter to this church and say, Lord, by the grace of God, while I'm serving and living in the city of Bowling Green, I want to be part of the Glendale Church. I want my light to count with that light of that church to to, to make a brighter light out in the city of Bowling Green to tell people about the love of God. Would you do it?
while we begin to sing, who'll step out first for the king? Come quickly for Jesus' sake.